Thank you very much. And um, my name is Labake, and like Helen said, I'm from the University of Edinburgh. It's good to repeat that to get my confidence in place. <laughs> and um, I'm talking today about my research, which I've just been conducting as part of my PhD thesis. So it's still very much work in progress, but I'm going to talk about the evidence, or rather the justification I'm given why this research is important and why I think it's tied to what we're saying here today. So it's on global graduates, evidence for ongoing study on postgraduate taught international student employability. And in summary, this is what I'll be talking about today on internationalization and employability. It was lovely to hear Steve talk about converging these two usually seen as disparate um, concepts in the literature. And I was just nodding my head and saying, yes, I'm in the right place. So I will talk a bit on internationalization and trends in UK. This is also going to be within the context of the UK. This course is around graduate employability. The aim of my study, and I've left it at that, it's not concluded because I'm very much still in the study. <clears throat> Um, I would be making a lot of references to Steve, sorry, because he gave a definition of internationalization that is much more current than Knight's on 2015, the wit. But I still think that what they're talking about is similar. They still focus more on the organizational process. And Sanderson actually goes to um, deepen or talk more about the breadth of internationalization he has said a lot about internationalization and i believe people here are aware of it so i don't need to go into the whys and what internationalization is but i think there's general agreement that internationalization is mostly still discussed within mobility even tne is still mobility or the lack of mobility so there is still a lot of discourse around this but the focus is mostly on the national sector and institutional level of internationalization without looking at the individual discourses that is within these conceptualizations. But Sanderson focused on tutors, on teachers, and saying, arguing that their voices are not heard within the discourse on internationalization. Few things I would say still about internationalization. It became prominent in higher education since the 1990s. And since then, international student mobility has been doubling by 100% every decade. So 1 million 1991, 2 million 2002, and 4 million, according to UNESCO statistics anyway, by 2012. Although OECD says that this figure is 4.5 million, but the difference will be due to the Erasmus and this short-term mobilities, which the UNESCO data might not capture. So we're still talking internationalization, and I would then go to, um, and maybe there should be a worry, because I noted that maybe I should just say that the market share of the top destinations are reducing. I'm talking when I talk internationalization throughout this presentation is going to be about international student mobility I won't go into the curriculum internationalizing the curriculum these are valid things and there are enough experts in this room that are also looking at that 
So they are developing hubs in Asia, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So we can assume that the flow and the pattern of internationalization, the certain thing is that it is changing. But how it will change, I think um, Dewitt and Jones and um, Althbach are more qualified to talk about that. So I would go on to international student enrollment in the UK. This came out earlier this year and most people will have seen it. What is interesting to me here is that Chinese students from China, first year enrollment are actually more than the whole of the EU. One country, more than the whole EU. That is big. So what do we know about them? And the Chinese students are only one country out of the non-EU students who come here to study. They are the global graduates we're talking about. Not minding that we also have a case for globalization at home or internationalization at home for the non-mobile students. So we have these statistics is one of the reasons. But I'm more interested in PGT students. And I have just a few tables because I have a lot of tables and I'm tailoring these table, tables to a specific institution but it's fairly representative of the same of um, international student enrollment in the UK. Most PGTs are studying business administration and the numbers are huge. Of all the students coming here, we have um, full-time PGTs that are international, that is non-EU. I'm also making distinctions between EU and non-EU because I realize that sometimes they're used as one group. 50%. So what do we know about the employability? We've talked, the two speakers that speak, given the keynote, they have mentioned a lot about employability and policy discourses. But what do we know about the students? This is what we know. We know about their motivation to study abroad and their decision making. Loosely based or still very much based on what Mazarol and Sobota, Maringi and Kata discussed. I still have references to that, even in 2015. And it is valid, yes. International students leave their country to study abroad, maybe because of access. I would argue that that is more pertinent at undergraduate level. After undergraduate studies, you can go into employment, a lot of options are open for you. Why do they go into postgraduate study? And PGT especially. And why do we have the largest numbers of students studying PGT? So we know a lot about the student experience, the transition, the culture shock, acculturation, adjustments, and intercultural experiences. A lot of these have also been discussed this morning. Well, not the shock bit, but at least the intercultural experiences. <laughs> because I think we are getting over the shocks now, so it's not so much more in the literature. But then what about the outcomes? What do international students do after they leave? Steve talked to, with his colleagues, they talked to a hundred, I'm so riding on Steve's back, I hope he's okay. They talked to a hundred alumni to get their perspectives, but what about the current student? What do we know about them? What is their outcome? 
and this is very much an agenda of higher education in the UK. So, employability, I did a little map. I could talk about this for the whole day and I will not even get to the end of it. So I will just eliminate the things that I cannot talk about because international students are even out of the loop in such discussions. I will start from the bottom. Sorry, it's not very clear, but that wasn't deliberate, but maybe it will reduce the questions. <laughs> so we have policy. We have the UK policy. The higher education is under BIS, as we all know. Something came out last month, uh, not last week actually, about the teaching metrics and um, post-graduation employment, retention rates, student satisfaction. I don't think the minister thought about international students. So I cannot cover that in my research for now, but there is room to do this. And um, outcomes approach, the H.E. Leavers Destination, which is well published by ESA, uh -uh. No international students there. So what do they do? Employment for the study? We don't know because ESA does not have the data and I call them. Nothing. Philosophical. What should be the aims of education? I realize that this is a big deal in the UK and the debate is not resolved yet. And I'm from the School of Education so I know a few professors who will tell me why not which is why I'm being wise enough to stay away from that a little bit, even if I would mention it. In, I will mention it in my thesis. What about the practicality of graduate employability? We have curriculum design, um, employers' perspectives, that skills, what do they want, hard skills, soft skills. Oh, I would go to the conceptual. Conceptual, we have the theories and we have some models. Human capital, I think still, human capital is the dominant theory that underpins all the conceptualizations of employability or graduate employability. And it comes forth in the definitions we have, whether it's the definition from um, York, which is very popular, or the models that they develop, the USEM model, which Steve alluded to also earlier this morning. But within these discourses, what can I or where can I locate my study? I think it's easier within the conceptual. It could go into any of this, but it would be easier for me to locate it within the theories and the models. Human capital. Are these students coming here to develop their human capital? Or are they building upon their cultural capital? Or are they, as um, Brown and Esket argued, purists or players within the positional conflict theory. Is this what they are? Are they trying to understand how to develop within the system? Or maybe there might be something that I would find out. That is very, very ambitious. But at least let it come from the students. There are many discourses around graduate employability. I do not think one single study can capture it all. So what's the aim of my study? For now, this is my overarching study aim. How do these discusses feature in the accounts of international students' motivation and their decision and the benefits of studying at a UK business school? And I'm going to look at, almost the last night, and I'm going to look at 
um, it's going to be a kind of longitudinal study because I will take their perceptions when they come in and also when they are ending the thought element of their, of their studies. And the reason why I'm doing a kind of stratified sampling method so that I don't get a lot of students from just one country, which there is every likelihood of that happening if you don't plan that into your research design. So I would take a sample from the BRICS country, from the MINS country, the developing countries and developed countries. And surely all students fall into one of these categories. So that way I can get um, responses. Of course it's not going to be representative in that sense because it's a qualitative study. But at least I'll get the views and it can be something to build up on. And why do I want to talk to students? Why do I want to get their views? I would draw to what um, Austin and Gubrim argued. Or no, it wasn't really an argument, just stating the facts, I think. That when interviews started long before I was born, Henry Mayhew in 1861 to 1862 conducted interviews. And these interviews, well, what then became known as interviews was with poor people. He wanted to ask the poor about poverty because the experts have been the one telling them this is how the poor behaves, this is how they feel. But how can you know how to be poor if you're not poor? Why do we not have views, the voices of international students in the literature telling us about their perceptions of their employability? And he did say, Personal experience is a key prerequisite to narrative competence. I believe the international students who come to this country have the personal experience to give a competent narrative about their experience. And my hope is that this study would actually contribute to practice policy and innovation in the 21st century on the graduate that we are trying to develop. And that brings me back to what we are doing today. We're developing the most employable global citizens. How can we encourage and celebrate outward mobility and working abroad? How can we indeed, if we don't know? And that's why I hope to have this narrative to the literature from my thesis. Thank you.